So what did you think? Oh, such a delightful person. Um, his journey is amazing. It was reading about his um, just becoming open to the supernatural through understanding science. I think that would really surprise a lot of people. Um, I think there are a lot of Christians who have an idea that science tries to get rid of God. Um, and yet I have heard the testimony of many scientists who say the opposite, who have come um, either from an, being an atheist to becoming a Christian or just becoming open um, through studying nature, studying what God has, has done. Um, so his journey is uh, just very, very touching, really. So how the about you? What thing, the sad thing is, is the scientists you mentioned are often overlooked because the shrillest voices in the room are either the, on one end the Ken Hams, the hostile Christians, saying you must right. read the Bible this way or you're, you're not being faithful to the authority of God's word, and the hostile atheists like Richard Dawkins who would say, he's right. <laughs> you got to read the Bible literally, and that's why you can't take it seriously. And so the, the uh, Saigard and Francis Collins and, and some of the voices we've had on the show already are are people who need to be heard more often because when the house of cards collapses in the first semester of university those kids need to know they don't have to walk away from jesus just because what they were told growing up in youth group or in sunday school imploded up upon their you know first geology course or biology course yeah my daughter said to me during her first semester of biology um Mom, I didn't realize that biology is evolution. Like I just thought evolution was like a little piece of biology, but biology, it's all evolution. That's all it is. Um, and I'm so thankful that she had some background to be able to place that within her, her faith and not have um, a challenge there for her. Uh, I know a lot of kids that they just have no idea, and that can be really hard. Mm -hmm. Well, folks, Seigart is a fascinating interview. I hope you enjoy it. He's kind of the Whitaker Chambers of Christianity. In, in other words, he grew up uh, in a Marxist, atheist environment. And boy, that's, that's a difficult uh, upbringing to overcome. You have to be truly an honest man, an intellectually honest man, who's definitely in the pursuit of truth to to be willing to consider the evidence. And, and so we, we put forward this interview in hopes if you're going through this yourself or you have people in your life who, who may be having doubts about the faith, connect them with Saigart. Uh, and maybe this interview will help and open them up to reading his book. But um, he's, he's also making videos. So uh, definitely check out Saigart.com. Yeah, he's got a podcast or a YouTube channel, uh, Science, with an S-Y, like Sci, Science. And uh, his face, his um, new website where you could get a copy of his book, and he sends a, the free little nameplate if you want one. All right. Hello. Today we have Dr. Cy Gart, a biochemist and former professor and division director at the National Institutes of Health. 
He has authored over 200 scientific publications in 505 books, including uh, his most recent book, The Works of His Hands. Sai is also the editor-in-chief of God and Nature magazine and vice president of the Washington, D.C. chapter of the American Scientific Affiliation. He is a lay leader in the United Methodist Church. And you grew up in um, an atheist family. Tell us about mm-hmm. your background and, and yep. home life growing up. Yeah, so my parents were uh, of that generation who had joined the American Communist Party in the 1930s, and they didn't leave right away. Uh, They stayed members until after the war, I guess, and uh, and they remained communists. They weren't members of the party anymore, but they remained communists during my whole uh, childhood. And uh, part of the uh, communist doctrine, both in the U.S. and throughout the world was a very strong form of atheism. Uh, It wasn't just simply not believing in God, it was really knowing that God could not possibly exist and that Christianity and all other religions were just evil, uh, you know, going along with Marx's original pronouncements. So I never considered (laughs) the possibility of theism or, or any kind of religion. It was all nonsense and and just foolishness um, until much later when I uh, actually when I began learning about science. The other the other part of my upbringing was a very my father was a chemist and so we had a the family had a very strong materialistic philosophy uh, which applied of course to anti-religion but also anti-philosophy, anti-psychology, anti-spirituality. Uh, everything that was not materialistic that you couldn't, you know, touch and feel and see was just not right. It was, you know, very strong sense of what we now call scientism. So uh, I, I was very interested in science. I love the idea of it. And uh, that's what I studied when I went to school. And that changed, eventually changed everything. What you mentioned um, about your family and growing up in that uh, in, in, under those conditions, Sai, when you started to transform, when you started to change um, your mind on some of these more serious issues, mm-hmm. did you did you have a nagging sensation of uh, that you're betraying your family or maybe betraying your upbringing? What role um, helped you overcome that? That's a good question. Actually, so what happened was that I when I left that entire worldview, when I pulled away from that worldview that I've been brought up with, it started with, uh, with my rejection of communism. And this was the 60s, there was the invasion of Czechoslovakia, which, but you know, my parents thought was perfectly fine. <laughs> uh, and I didn't, <laughs> like most of my generation, uh, and began to see the, the errors and the hypocrisy and the falseness of my political views, and uh, that eventually uh, led me to wonder a little bit about whether everything else might be not quite right either. I, one of my favorite subjects has always been history, and I still read history for fun. And, uh, you know, I had been uh, taught about um, the evil that Christianity had done in history, and looking into the reality of the history showed me that I'd been kind of misled on that one as well. (laughs) So uh, that's how it started. And I, 
you know, I didn't really discuss any of these issues with my parents while they were alive. Uh, they passed on just before I actually made my big change, which was to become a theist and, in fact, eventually become a Christian. So, um, you know, it, it never, I never felt that way. I never felt I was betraying anything. I never felt strongly enough about it to think that, you know, it was a betrayal. Uh, and uh, it, I never had a confrontation with my parents because, uh, it, it, you know, they had passed on by the time I was really serious. So the progression in the change in your life started with history, right? Mm. And it began in, in political ideology. Right, right. But at some point in your book, you mentioned that it, it was science that... Right help lead you along theologic or or in in the absolutely with the idea of god philosophically, philosophically philosophically right so in other words as i mentioned my my worldview is very materialistic uh sort of like many people today many students and many others who haven't gone into science in great depth my concept of physical science was pretty much 19th century you know i hadn't really learned much about relativity or quantum mechanics or modern physics. I hadn't really learned much about, well, it wasn't known yet about modern, you know, molecular biology. So uh, when I started learning about those things, it it, it it kind of destroyed that worldview. I mean, there's nothing about a scientific worldview anymore that, that fits what used to be called materialism. Uh, certainly, you know, when you start learning that uh, electrons, you know, exist in a probability space <laughs> and uh, they only collapse to a real place once you look at them. So the observer effect is very important. And of course, that that makes no sense in terms of materialistic worldview. Uh, when you learn about the uncertainty principle in, in quantum mechanics, which says that we can, there are some things we can never know. It's impossible to to know. It's impossible to pin down the speed and the position of an electron at the same time. The more you know about one, the less you know about the other. And that was the first, that really struck me when I learned about it, that was in college, uh, because it, it kind of said that the answer to the question, will we eventually know everything, is no. It, it can't be, because science itself, physics itself, tells us the natural world is constructed in a way that we can't know everything. There are things that we cannot know. And so that put a big crimp in my, you know, in my scientistic viewpoint about how science can answer all questions and uh, got me thinking, started asking a lot of questions. And uh, Christine mentioned the book and the book starts out with a chapter called The Importance of Questions. And that's important to me because, you know, my father who was a pretty good chemist, he's a good scientist, used to tell me that the most important thing in science is to know the right question. Answers are not that hard to find when you know what to ask. And so that was the thing that I focused, I was focusing on knowing what kinds of questions to ask and uh, the answers I was getting were not the ones I expected. All right, so you went on to work at the National Institutes of Health. Tell us about your time there. Did you actually work for Francis Collins or with him at all? Or uh, what did you do at the National Institutes of Health? 
Right. So uh, this is jumping ahead quite a bit. I was already a Christian, although a secret one. I hadn't told very many people about it. And I got a position. I decided I would, I had been a professor for 30 odd years and I decided I was kind of tired of that. I want to do something different. And uh, I got a position as a division director in the Center for Scientific Review, which is the part of NIH that reviews all the grant applications that come in to the NIH for funding. And uh, about a month or two after I accepted that position, I learned that Francis Collins was coming to become the new director. So that got me very, very excited. <laughs> uh, I didn't work. I worked. Uh, he was my boss's boss. So he was uh, two steps above me. I did have a few meetings with him on certain issues. Uh, and he's, he's just a wonderful person. Uh, the staff loves him. Everybody at NIH just thinks he's wonderful. And, you know, he, he holds large meetings and he comes with his guitar every time and plays and sings. <laughs> it's, it's really a pleasure to work there uh, with him as the head of it. Uh, he's also incredibly brilliant. Uh, one, one or two of the meetings I sat in with him, uh, at, at one of these I had to actually present something and uh, he was very sharp. <laughs> I, I I was a little uh, intimidated, but uh, he's a great guy. Later, I met him in other contexts uh, at, at BioLogos meetings and other meetings of science and faith, which he would attend. And uh, so, you know, he's uh, he's quite a remarkable figure, I would say. So you say that you hadn't, you know, told anybody you were a Christian. You hadn't come out right. as a Christian yet. Um, how did right. how did that transformation to being willing to write a book about it and talk about it and mm -hmm. uh, what happens to change your mind to be more open on the topic? You know that's a good question. I'm not sure I have an answer. Uh, I I had come to faith as is described in the book through a personal experience with the Holy Spirit, which you know completely knocked me over and took away the last of my resistance. Uh, as I as I describe it, I, I was an agnostic for many, many, many years. And then I realized I do believe in a God. And then eventually, I started really thinking about Christianity very seriously, went to church, read some of the Gospels. But I couldn't quite do it. I couldn't quite say, Oh, yeah, I believe I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. There's just too much baggage in my in my long life at that point. And it was very hard for me to actually just say, yes, I'm Christian until the incident, which is in the book about uh, where the Holy Spirit actually, uh, the way I put it is uh, dragged me over the threshold. And uh, by coming to me while I was driving, and, and I'm not going to go into that unless you ask, but it's in the book. And at that point, I knew I believed in Jesus Christ as my Savior. And but I didn't know what to do about that. I, I, I just didn't know. And my life was fairly unsettled at the time. I was moving around a lot. I, I didn't know what church to go to. I tried a couple. Uh, I was just not ready. And uh, it took a few more years before I decided, okay, I have to find a church and join it. And I have to really take this seriously. And I did that. That was about eight years ago, and uh, and then I got baptized, and 
And that was a great moment. And at that point, uh, I realized, okay, uh, whoever knows, knows, I don't care. And uh, if they don't like it, fine. Uh, <laughs> that's life. Because everybody I knew was an atheist. I didn't know any other Christians. Uh, you know, all my colleagues were not religious. So I thought, turns out when I, when I uh, retired, uh, I gave a, a talk and somebody asked me, what are you going to do now? And I said, I'm going to work at my church and maybe write a book and do some other things about faith and Christianity and dead silence. You could hear a pin drop in the room because uh, everybody was shocked <laughs> that nobody had a clue uh, that I was in that position. But afterwards, four or five people came up to me and said, thank you. That was great to hear. I'm also a Christian, you know, so, you know, academia, which includes uh, the NIH and governmental uh science agencies are not terribly friendly to <laughs> to Christianity, although they're not as hostile as some people think. I, I, I think it depends where you are. I mean, there are places and individuals who are hostile, but um, the the general tone is not extremely friendly towards uh, expressions of, of faith. And so, uh, but anyway, once I had retired and, and was in a church, I, deci I decided to go full out and I had been thinking about this book for a while and I just put a lot of things down and next thing I knew I was writing a book, you know, and, and, uh, and by the grace of God, I managed to get it published, which was literally miraculous. So <laughs> I, I'm, I'm pretty thankful for that. Well, and not just published, it won the, was a bronze, bronze winner of the Forward Indies Award in adult nonfiction. Religion, category. Uh, uh, religious nonfiction, right? Yeah, I was shocked at that. I couldn't believe it. Uh, that that was not something I expected to happen. But uh, th that's an independent uh, group that just reviews books, and uh, somebody liked it. So, yeah. So I I, I know we're dragging you back and forth a little bit because okay. you, you you do no have problem. a fascinating story. Can you talk to us a little <laughs> bit about your transition from non-belief to belief? Yeah. Um, before you even get to the book and stuff. I, with C.S. Lewis, he called himself the most reluctant convert in all of England. Yeah. Uh, but he, he was um, convinced of theism before he made the jump to Christianity. And I guess right. he, he had narrowed it to Hinduism and Christianity in his mind, mm -hmm. uh, working all this out. Was there ever a time that you considered... Uh, uh, Judaism or another faith mm -hmm. be because yeah. of, of your, you know, of, of your upbringing. I know you were brought up as an atheist, but did you consider like Lewis considered Hinduism? Did you consider anything else? And how long were you a theist before you accepted Christianity? Yeah, actually, uh, I don't mention this in the book because it's just too much to go into, but I did consider Judaism because at, at the point where I had decided to, uh, that I decided that God may very well exist, uh, which was, you know, agnostic leaning on theist. <laughs> uh, the only thing I, I, I mean, I had, I knew nothing about Judaism. My, my background, my upbringing, uh, I, I say in the, in the book, I've never, I had never been to a church, but that includes synagogues. I, I think I went to a synagogue once for a friend's bar mitzvah, 
and I, I hated it and I ran out. <laughs> so that didn't work. And uh, my parents had, although they were Jewish, they were only, they were secular Jews and they were totally against religion. We didn't celebrate any holidays of any kind. Uh, we gave gifts at New Year's Day instead of Christmas or Hanukkah because New Year's Day is when the Soviet Union gives gifts. You gave gifts. Uh, so that's when I got my presents, my holiday presents. Um, so I had very little experience with Judaism, but I did know that I was ethnically Jewish. So I, I kind of looked into that. I did go a couple, I did go to a synagogue where I lived a few times. Um, I don't know. It just didn't catch on with me. Uh, it was nice that they, you know, prayed to God, but I, I didn't, there was a lot of other stuff which I couldn't get into <laughs> and a lot of ritual, which, you know, kind of wasn't in, in my wheelhouse. And uh, I eventually just stopped going. It, it, it didn't do anything for me. And meanwhile, I, I had been reading the Bible, jumping around, and I, I read the Gospels and especially Matthew was the first thing I read. And I just, I was captivated by this amazing person. I just thought of him as an amazing person at that point, you know, who was a, a carpenter who went around and gave this amazing message. And, uh, and then it dawned on me that people not only revered him, but worshiped him as, as the son of God, as God incarnate. And I, I found that very striking. And I, and then I read, what still is my favorite book in the Bible, which is the book of Acts. And I read that and I said, this is not made up. This is, this is history. This is somebody writing what really happened. And I, I find it impossible to understand how anyone could read the book of Acts and think, oh, this is a very clever ruse, you know, for a conspiracy, whatever. It doesn't read that way. It, it, there's so many reasons it doesn't read that way. And, uh, and it convinced me. It convinced me, okay, this is truth. You know, this really happened. Okay, maybe the resurrection didn't really happen. Maybe they thought it did, but everything else happened. And the more you think about that, the more you begin to think, well, maybe this Jesus Christ person really is who he said he was, you know, really was. And uh, I started thinking that way. And, and then I had a couple of dreams, which are in the book, where Jesus Christ was there, the figure of Jesus was there and talking to me and telling me things that, uh, you know, didn't come from me. I mean, I can't prove that. <laughs> I know atheists will say, well, you wanted to believe, so, you know, you made it this up. Well, maybe, I, I don't know. But it certainly convinced me that, that this was not something that came directly from my subconscious, but, uh, you know, that I was actually visited by Jesus. And those dreams are also in the book. Again, I can give you a brief synopsis of one or two of them if you want. And so I got closer and closer and I started going to church. And the very first time I went to a church, I was brought by a friend and I was very nervous about that. I thought it was gonna be uh, horrible, like the synagogue experience I had. And people would look at me as a stranger and point at me and call me a heretic. And I would, you know, run out of there. But it's just the opposite. I mean, the priest taught, this was a Catholic church. The priest talked about love exclusively. The whole, the entire 
sermon was about love. And that was new to me. And I, I started, that's when I started thinking, well, I think I've been lied to about a lot of things, <laughs> not just you know, the, the wonders of Comrade Stalin, but also, you know, the evil of the Catholic Church in, in its history. So uh, I then I started going to church more often and uh, enjoying it and starting to feel there was something there. And then, of course, as I said before, the final experience was the, the uh, experience I had with the Holy Spirit that uh, basically instilled within me as I was awake and, and I'd been listening to a preacher on the radio and thinking about, you know, what could I preach if I wanted to preach, which was sort of a joke to me. I was making a joke to myself, but then next thing I knew I was, I was actually preaching and the sermon I preached was nothing I had ever thought about. And, uh, and it didn't come from me. And at that point I knew that I, I had been blessed by a visit from the Holy Spirit, and I was a Christian from then on. So, so you're preaching next week, but not the sermon that you had the vision of, right? No, <laughs> no. Did you ever get no. to that sermon? Uh, the first time I preached in church, I talked about it, and I gave a little bit of it. It's very short. Uh, it's it's about a five. It takes about five minutes to say it. Uh, it took a little longer in my head, but, uh, and it's just, it's just about, you know, the love of Jesus Christ for, for, well, the key, the key part of it is I'm telling, I'm telling the people who are listening to me, I'm telling this congregation, you know, imaginary congregation that Jesus Christ loves even me. And if you can love even me, the sinner that I am, who could he not love? And that just came out of nowhere. I never thought of that. And afterwards, when I, you know, try to reconstruct it, which I wrote it down right away, uh, and I try to reconstruct the feelings that I had, I, I realized, yeah, I, I've been quite a sinner in my life. I mean, uh, not just being an atheist, but, you know, in so many ways, uh, denying, not just denying God, but mocking his followers and all that kind of stuff. So. Uh, the realization that Jesus Christ could love even me was just overpowering. It still is. Sai, the two worlds are very different. I mean, in the scientific world, somebody puts forward a paper, a hypothesis, mm -hmm. and he expects um, criticism. He expects people to pick it apart and attack it. And oh, yeah. um, its longevity adds to it, and its predictive power adds, adds to the integrity of the argument. It becomes a theory. In Christianity, many times through church history, um, there are fortified tribes, <laughs> and mm -hmm. sometimes they have conflict with each other, and, and it doesn't seem mm -hmm. like in some places questions are welcome. A lot mm -hmm. of the millennials who call themselves nuns or duns now uh, have left the church, and when they're polled, whether it's by Gallup or Pew or a Christian organization, uh, Christian polling organization, you know, um, one of the top answers they give from them walking away from the faith is that they didn't feel like um, they could have doubts or mm -hmm. ask questions or share questions. So you, right. your experience coming in the church, you said you felt love right away. 
How do you mm-hmm. feel about when, when, you, when you see, whether it's a celebrity Christian walking away from the faith or where you hear somebody that, that lives within your sphere of influence um, that walks away with the faith because they've been burned by it somehow, what do you see the difference there between maybe where science uh, and, and faith have, have these two different worlds and it's, it's okay to be to entertain skepticism in science, but it doesn't seem to be in faith. Well, it's, you know, that's an interesting question, which I, I see a lot. And the, the, what I often, I think I've talked about this online, you know, it, it, on the one hand, we hear that Christians are uh, not encouraged to raise questions, as you just said, John, you know, and not, not encouraged to express doubts or wonder about things. On the other hand, we hear complaints from atheists that there are so many denominations of Christianity, which one is correct? And those two complaints cancel each other out. I mean, how could we have different denominations of Christians if nobody asked, ever asked any questions? I mean, certainly, you know, starting with Luther and, and all the Protestant reform leaders and even within the Catholic Church, um, it's going on right now in my denomination, the United Methodist Church. There's a, there's a possible split, very likely split, uh, going to be coming along based on interpretation of Scripture. And I, you know, I don't see this huge difference between science and faith. First of all, science, um, yes, it, it, it eventually comes to a consensus, but before that, uh, there, there are an awful lot of controversies and rifts, and there, there have I have witnessed you know people yelling at each other at scientific meetings. Uh, these things happen. Eventually, there one consensus takes over because you know the data is very clear in one direction and not in the other. Sometimes that takes decades to develop. Um, you know, in in any field you look at, if you look at cosmology right now, physics, the the data that's been coming out from the the, uh, the linear accelerator at CERN and data from other places is nobody knows what's going on. I mean, it's just a lot of theories have been struck down, and and you know, no, everybody's just waiting for something to to come along and, and explain how everything is working. You know, putting together dark energy and you know quantum gravity and you know all the all the various theories and in physics to come up with a unified theory, and it's not easy. So uh, so there's, there's a lot of discussion, debate, and sometimes even rancor in science, and there's a lot of unity in Christianity. And uh, I think that I, I don't see that much difference. I think these are both, I mean, the methods are different, obviously. Um, in science, we have experimentation, which often, but not always, gives us a, a really clear answer. In Christianity, we have the Bible, and we have interpretations of the Bible, and the the these will change with time and, and space. So in some parts of the world, there's pretty strong unification about, you know, how to interpret Scripture. In other parts, it's, it's variable. So I think that to walk, and, and the other part of your question, which I found interesting, is, is how I deal with people who walk away from Christianity. What's, what's my reaction? And my reaction is sadness because, you know, <laughs> I, I worked so hard and it took me so long to get 
to this place. I, I find it a shame that somebody will say, well, it's all hypocritical or, you know, they don't believe in, in real science. They don't believe in truth. They, and I just feel like I wish I could go over to that person and just talk with them for a few hours and maybe, you know, make a difference. And there are some things that, that people just don't really understand, for example, about science. Uh, I have a, a chapter in the book called Science Surprises. And I've gotten a lot of reaction to that chapter. People have said to me, I had no idea about fractals. I never knew there was anything like that. I didn't know about chaos theory. I didn't know, you know, I'm, I'm, what I'm putting in that book is the idea that this world is so amazing that it has to reflect the fact that there was a divine designer behind it. Because why is it that every time we do a scientific study and we get an answer, it raises more questions than we had originally? Why should that be true? And that's true in every field. There's no field that's ever been finished in science. We've never come, okay, this is it. We now know everything. We're done. Here's the truth. What else can we look at? Never happened, and I don't believe ever will. And the reason for that is this creation reflects the enormous complexity and magnificence of its creator. And I don't see any other way to explain the way the world is. Yeah, that's, that's good. Well, two uh, things that I want to follow up with you on here, but I'm going to let Christine jump in, but I, I just want to plant the seeds so we can come back to them. Mm -hmm. um, okay. One is you've you've led into the hardest question I ever ask anybody by you bringing up mm -hmm. how skeptics look at denominations and the all the different denominations. And so um, I think I'm going to ask that question and, let, and then let Christine go. But I want to come back to to um, your first half of the book where you talk about some of the things you just mentioned, quantum and genetics and how they might not prove a creator, but they point to one uh, so so right. I, I want to come around back to that because it seems that's an argument we've heard maybe in anthony flew's last book right um, mm -hmm. when when he became at least famously a theist right. so so i think that there, there's these two areas but you've you've walked right into the briar patch by, by bringing up the skeptics point at christians and say if you have all the answers why can't you agree on anything so Here's the hardest question I, oh. I, I ask anybody. From a skeptic's point of view, you Christians, we Christians, say that, um, well, you have the leading of the Holy Spirit, and you have the mind of Christ, and you have the Bible as an authority, and you have the promise that the Spirit will lead you into all understanding. If all of that's true, and sola scriptura and other things. If all of these things are true, why can't you agree on anything? Number one. Mm -hmm. And number two is if you have that advantage over the natural man, why were you wrong about astronomy for 200 years? And why might you be wrong about evolution today? Okay. So you're asking that to a Christian. You're asking. I'm asking that questions. to you. <laughs> to me. Okay. Yeah. So uh, one thing about science is we never say we know for sure. Everything that we come up with is a theory 
which can be changed, modified, even overturned. And that's happened many times in science. The exact same thing I believe is true in Christianity. I, I have rarely heard a theologian or a good apologist say, I know exactly what the truth is. If they do, I stop listening because, you know, <laughs> no, nobody knows the truth. I mean, look at the Bible. Uh, people ask me, well, what about the Bible? And, you know, I, I've had a debate with Kent Hovind, and I think it's unfortunate that people like that think that it's all done. The Bible is there. It's easy. Read it. Do what it says. Understand what exactly what it means, which is exactly what it says in every respect and you're done. And the reason I feel sorry is because they're obviously missing out on the reality of the beauty of, the, of, of Scripture, which is that it's not easy. That's the point. It's not supposed to be easy. It's not supposed to be an instruction manual for how to repair a car. It's not supposed to be, uh oh, follow these steps and you will go to heaven or follow these steps and you will be saved. No, the Bible is hard work. And we know that. I mean, if it weren't hard work, why would there even be something called theology? Why would we have to study it? We just, just read it, okay, and do what it says. Well, obviously nobody does that because what the Bible says is a lot of things that are, you know, nobody follows because they're from the, you know, the, the earlier uh, versions of the Old Testament, for example. So even the New Testament. You know, we have to think about it this way. Jesus Christ is God incarnate. God came to earth to teach us. How did he teach us? Did he say, okay, here's the list. Number one, do this. Number two, do... no, he didn't do that at all, did he? What he did was he spoke to us in parables. Didn't have to. Why did he have to use so many parables? Why didn't he just say, okay, here's what you should do. Questions? No? Good. Follow. Not at all. He used parables. He used analogies. There are parts of, of the Bible, there are parts of, of, of the Gospels, which every pastor will have a different interpretation. Every theologian will have a different interpretation. I've got a, I've got Tom Wright's book behind me, you know, all 900 pages. I mean, if it was simple, if it were easy, he wouldn't have written that book. And, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a big mistake, I think, for people to worry about doubt because doubt is crucial to faith it's not just not the enemy of faith it's crucial to faith you have to keep asking because that's what god wants i think this is why our world is not simple and neither is scripture anything that's worthwhile is not simple and i i, I don't know if that answers your question but i feel that very strongly so uh, when when people say how come you don't have how come how come you don't agree on anything, I say thank God. That's I, I like that. Um, when my kids have taken hard courses, I've told them um, that you have such a strong sense of satisfaction when you do something that's very hard um, compared with doing something that's very easy, uh, mm -hmm. and. So that's that's a really good perspective to look on the hard passages of scripture uh, and the study mm -hmm. and the growth that occurs. Um, just that there's more satisfaction when you dig deep into deep yeah. topics. 
Right. So what are some of the tough questions that you're still wrestling with? Well, I, I think, you know, the biggest, the, I thought when, when, when John was saying he was going to ask the hardest question, to me, the hardest question is the problem of evil. And I do wrestle with that. Um, I touch on it a little bit in the book, but not very thoroughly because I don't think there is a thorough answer. And I've come to the conclusion in my own personal view, and I, I wouldn't suggest that this is correct because I have no idea. But my own personal view is that there's a, there is a lot more about reality that we don't know than we do know. And almost everyone would agree with that statement, including most scientists. But I think that's also true for the reality of God and the reality of heaven, um, the, nature of mora the nature of evil, good and evil. We do know that good and evil is a human construct. Uh, and we do know that all humans, all people created in God's image know that there is something about good and there's something called evil and the two things are different. You know, and now how is it that God allows evil things to happen? And that's a question I don't know the answer to. And I don't, I haven't read anybody who does. But I, that doesn't mean I don't think there's an answer. I think there is. And I believe that, you know, all of us will learn that answer and any other answers that we don't have uh, at some point, uh, you know, after we're at the next world, because we may not, at least I probably won't get to hear it uh, in this world. But um, so that's a tough question for me. Uh, I think this, I think that's probably it. I, I don't know if there's anything else that I, I don't have some kind of an answer for, even though I wouldn't suggest that I know the real answer to almost anything. <laughs> That's what I carried from science with me into faith. And it's one of the, re I mean, one of the things I, I often say is that um, I think, I don't just say that science and faith are compatible and, they're, and, they're, and it's not true that they're enemies. I think it goes way beyond that. I, I really think that you know, modern science began in a Christian context. It began with Francis Bacon and the idea of, of trying to understand God's creation. And it was, it was part of the Christian worldview to understand how creation works. And I think we need to get back to that. I, I, I see science and, and Christian faith intimately interwoven and in step with each other. Now that sounds fairly radical, but I'm not alone. There are some other people who agree. Sai, um, the, the truth for you and, and the truth for Anthony Flew, I want, I want to touch on this for a second. So, so you're, you're both scientists and you, you both make the claim in your books that it was your work. <laughs> it was <laughs> science that led you to belief in faith. In, in Flew's question, he became a believer in a creator or, or a god, a power that, that's behind the material right. universe. In your case, you, you, you are a, a Christ follower. Uh, but are you saying that science can prove God or are you making the philosophical statement that, that it, science pointed you toward God? 
Yeah, yeah the latter. Uh, science actually never proves anything. The, the only time you find proof is in math, uh, logic. Um, there are things that are have very, very strong evidence uh, about in science, uh, but proof is a concept that's really mathematical in nature. And uh, in some cases in physics, uh, you can say that you've reached proof of a certain theorem, but I'm a biologist and it's never true in biology, which is much messier. Uh, what we can say about, <clears throat> about science proving God is the boast we can say is that I believe, and other people have said the same thing, Francis Collins has said it many times, is that there are, uh, many other people have said it, uh, there are things about this universe that could have all kinds of explanations, and it doesn't matter what the explanations are, because everything has a natural explanation. But the, the, the way the universe is constructed, the fine-tuning of the physical constants, and the some of the aspects of biology, which are too complex to get into, I, I couldn't even really get into it too deeply in the book either, that are just remarkable and just make you think, who did, how did this happen? You know, who, who did all of this? And, uh, and just by asking that question, you're saying there's a who. And, and that's what I came to. And I think Flu came to the same realization. There, there it looks like there's somebody there. It looks like there's a who, there's a, there's a designer, there's, a, there's an agent, an agency. Uh, how else can we explain this, this universe, this earth? And in my case, as a biologist, as a biochemist, how can we explain a simple bacterium? It's, it's, just, it's just remarkable when you, when you study the details of the chemistry of life and how chemistry uh, suddenly becomes this <laughs> well-organized, uh, amazing system that we call life. It's, it's very hard to just look at that and say, as I often read, oh, life is just a collection of molecules that are very complex. No, I, I don't believe that. Can I prove it? No, and I, there's no reason to. Uh, but I think it is a pointer, as you said. It's a pointer to something out there that is not simply the random, um, the random action of natural laws. And of course, even if you say that, you have to say, what are natural laws? Where do they come from? Why are there natural laws? You know, the, the one thing that's very important to understand is a little off the topic, but I'm gonna say it, is that science and religion, certainly Christianity and the other monotheistic religions have something greatly in common which is the belief in a lawful, rational universe, which is the opposite of magic. And magic is actually a very widely held view. Almost there are religions that are based on magic, which is, you know, gods and goddesses who have a whim. They decide to do something and they do it or whatever, and you have to pray to them and hope that you make them feel better and stuff. Uh, that's magic. And, and science doesn't hold, science broke away from magic and so did Christianity. And that's the point. Um, there is a lawful universe. We live in a lawful universe. We know that. We know what many of those laws are. We don't know all of them by far, but we know some. And that fact alone make, should make us wonder why. Why are there laws? Why, doesn't, why don't just random things happen?
Sometimes you sit down, sometimes gravity stops and you float up in the air. Why doesn't that happen? <clears throat> well, I think all Christians would agree that God is intelligent and that he is the designer, the creator. Um, but how do you see your view in comparison with like the Discovery Institute and people like Michael Behe right. and Stephen Myers? Right. So I actually don't agree that God is intelligent. I think he's way beyond what we call intelligence. And in the book, I use the term divine design because an intelligent designer can can make a watch, right? That's we know that. So you know the old the, the old example of uh, you find a watch, you assume intelligence. But what I like to say is, if you find a rabbit, what does that tell you? A rabbit, you can't design, you can't make a rabbit. Nobody can make a rabbit or any animal or any living thing. That's way beyond intelligence. So I don't think of God as intelligent. I think he's I think he's a divine designer. And that's different. We don't know how God worked, how he created. We don't know the, the mechanisms. There were mechanisms, and they probably followed what we call natural processes. There may have been some miracles. I mean, we, this is all unknown. Uh, but I think that the, the problem, I, I, I certainly hold to intelligent design with a, with a small eye, okay, if you want to say that intelligence includes everything, including the divine intelligence, you could do that. Uh, and I, I, there are some parts of intelligent design that I absolutely agree with, uh, especially when it concerns the origin of information in living cell, in living organisms. Uh, the origin of life is, is an unknown topic. And, uh, but what, what I don't hold to and I don't agree with is is the idea of saying that uh, if we find a something happens that's extremely improbable, that's evidence for God. Because one of the things about natural selection, and, and, and this is well known, is that it can do the highly improbable and do it well. And that's easily proven. So if you know, the fact that people often say, well, the chances of getting this protein is one in 10 to the 350 power or whatever. And that's just that's just incorrect. Uh, it, it, it's a very baby use of statistics. And I don't like that argument. I don't think anyone's using that anymore. And I'm very happy to see that many people within uh, the Discovery Institute, in, in, including Behe and Michael Denton, and uh, a few others. I've had some nice conversations with Ann Gager, and um, you know, they they they're. I mean, they do believe that design and that that uh, spontaneous creation and design uh, show that there's a god, or or that there's something beyond just you know random evolution. And I agree with that. But many of them are also coming to the view that in some cases. Uh, the evolutionary paradigm simply works. Microevolution, for example, or even the kind of evolution that came after the arc, which even young Earth creationists hold to. I mean, evolution is no longer something that is considered wrong by anybody because in young Earth, you know, in the in the in the story of uh, Answers in Genesis, and uh, there's now the idea that after the arc. Uh, there was a very, very rapid speciation of various kinds. Uh, and that's not exactly the same as biological evolution, the theory of biological evolution, but it's, free, it's fairly close. So 
you know, it's it's um, the evolutionary mechanism of natural selection is certainly very powerful. Uh, it doesn't explain origins, and there's a lot it does not explain. And I actually have a video on that because I think it's really important before anybody starts talking about evolution to understand what it really is and especially what it is not. Because, you know, when I hear Kent Hovind say, well, you know, the big, the, I don't know, the galaxies didn't form by evolution. I just, you know, that's not what <laughs> evolution is purely biological. It has nothing to do with anything else. It doesn't even relate to technology. It doesn't relate to human culture. It's a theory, it's a biological theory with a very strict set of rules that only apply to biological organisms. And it applies pretty much only to the growth of diversity among biological organisms. It doesn't relate to the origin of life in any way. Dr. Sai, I, I want to ask you, um, one of the things that's distressed Christine and I uh, lately has seemed to be a universal anti-evolution, though, um, atmosphere in Christian apologetics. Uh, and hmm. you mentioned a few groups. You mentioned AIG and, and our friends Hugh Ross and Fuzz Rana uh, at RTB, and we have friends at Discovery too. So you, you, have, mm -hmm. you have one thing that's holding all these, all these groups together, and that is uh, this anti-evolutionary idea that, uh, that evolution is a theory in crisis. And so forth, or at least contrary, maybe to a biblical yeah. understanding. And famously, you have right. um, people even denying the common ancestry among some of the hominins. And so, so my question to you is this: as how um, how do you process that? And when when people outside the faith look at that and they consider that if I if I truly become a Christian, I have to walk away from these aspects. And it's, it's not really just biology. It's paleontology and archaeology and geology, and it's a lot of things with the differing groups. Right. But there seems to be one link that holds them all together, and it is this anti-evolutionary um, idea that it's not compatible with the Bible. Okay, so lots of things. That's a, that's a big issue. <laughs> um, I haven't heard how Jim Stump answered that question, but he is, as you know, the vice president of Biologos, which is an evangelical Christian organization started by Francis Collins, and that organization is 100% uh, in favor of the idea of evolution and certainly uh, not claiming that it is anti-Christian. And the largest organization of Christians in the sciences. Uh, earlier, you mentioned God and Nature and the American Scientific Affiliation. That group doesn't hold a, a, a particular position as a group, as an organization, but the vast majority of its members also hold to agreement with evolution. Uh, the Catholic Church holds to agreement with evolution. Many of the major Protestant denominations agrees with the reality of evolution. There are a few denominations that don't, uh, and there are a few denominations that hold to a young earth, which, as you know, uh, is a fairly recent development originally proposed by uh, Seventh-day creationists and sorry, Seventh-day Adventists and later taken on uh, by the Southern Baptist uh, denomination. But uh, it's not I don't think it's correct to say that most apologists, most Christian leaders 
are united by an anti-evolutionary uh, rhetoric or an anti-evolutionary idea. Michael Denton, whose book was titled Evolution Still a Theory in Crisis, I actually reviewed that book and uh, it was it's fascinating because uh, the book is absolutely not anti-evolution. The title is, but the book is not. And uh, Fazrana and I have discussed evolution uh, online and in, in a couple of uh, one or two uh, online shows. And he's not completely convinced by everything, but I would not call him an anti-evolutionist. Uh, and, you know, he's the co-director or the associate director of Reasons to Believe. And I, I think the trend is changing. And uh, even some of the apologists, I, I mean, I have interviewed with uh, Michael Jones, who is the uh, apologist behind Inspiring Philosophy, a, a, one of the young up and coming apologists is a great following. He's completely in, in, in line with evolution. So uh, Capturing Christianity, Cameron Bertuzzi, all another another up and coming uh, apologist. I mean, the younger crowd. You're, you're is, mentioning the younger ones. Is, is our only hope well, that the yeah. older ones go home to be with the Lord? But <laughs> I, know, I agree I, with you. I, the I, younger I, ones um, yeah. are accepting well, of their the approach. Future. I think. Yeah. Sean I think uh, some of them accept evolution, <laughs> maybe up to. Homo sapiens is that it, would that be fair to say? And is it their it's understanding possible. of the imago day that might hold them back from from accepting? Well, that? okay, that well, I'm in that camp. Okay, so I when you talk about evolution of humans, I think that obviously that you know humans are hominins and uh, our physical bodies are the result of evolution, but I would not ascribe evolution at all to and I say this very clearly in the book, I would not ascribe hu all human characteristics to evolution. I, I, that just doesn't work. Uh, there's so many reasons that that doesn't work. And if you really understand how evolution does work, you would understand that no morality is not coming from evolution. Uh, you know, you can make a just so story that everything comes from evolution. That's, that's called evolutionary psychology, which to me is a fraud. I mean, it's, it's just nonsense, emasquerating a science. Uh, it, the reality is, yeah, we were created in the image of God. Absolutely. Uh, it doesn't mean that, that did God take literally reach down, take some clay and make a human being out of it. And I don't think so. But God created humans in his image and, and, and a theological sense. There's just too much about us that is too different too quickly from any other living organism to be able to ascribe to evolution. We're, we're 200,000 years old which is nothing that's like born yesterday. And yet look, look at us compared to any other primate. You know, uh, it just here, look at us now. I mean, we're talking to each other. I don't even know where you are, you know, but you're not in my living room <laughs> or my study or wherever I am. And you're not here. I, how do we do that? You know, well, obviously it's technology. Okay. Humans, how do humans, how are humans able to do technology? How are we able to write the music that we write? paint the paintings that we paint, write the poetry that we have, have the emotions that we have. Yeah, natural selection? I don't think so. <laughs> so I'm in that camp. I, I would not, I, I think evolution, as I said, 
is a biological theory that is that describes the diversity of of life but it does not describe many things including the nature of humanity for that we have to turn to god but there are apologists who would not go as far as you on that i mean um, oh sure a lot right. of them particularly mm -hmm. the older ones yeah. oh yeah um, absolutely and, and i think the sad thing si is they make it a part of their invitation so i i mean christine recently was we don't have to you know mention names this won't be in the show but she was recently at a conference and they they brought up evolution unnecessarily you know so i mean the the idea is in a negative way so the idea is you know if you're in the audience and you're on the fence or you're not a christian you're getting the perception <laughs> that um that that you you have to choose well this is a terrible mistake and, and and let me let me say something which is going to sound very radical uh, but i believe it strongly and i'm considering a book about it although i still have a lot of work to do it turns out that evolution is one of the strongest arguments you can make for the existence of god and the only argument that you can raise against evolution is that it does not coincide perfectly with one particular interpretation of Genesis 1. And perhaps a couple of other things that are misinterpreted in, in uh, Paul's writings in Romans and a few other places. That's the only argument that can be made against evolution. And that assumes that you know how to interpret Genesis and that you know how to interpret, uh, you know, Romans, et cetera. And, you know, you've had John Walton on and, and, you know, he has a different interpretation of Genesis than you will hear from some of these apologists who are, you know, anti-evolution. Uh, I, I don't think we, you know, to say that, that evolution is anti-biblical you can make that argument. You can also say that it's not anti-biblical. And I, I know many people who've done that. Um, but the real point to me is that aside from the Bible, the question of whether there is a creator God or not, to me is answered very clearly in the affirmative when you consider the mechanism of evolution, because it's actually quite miraculous. I can't go into the detail because it's very complicated. I'm writing some papers about it, and hopefully uh, we'll, we'll get to be able to say that more. But the, I, the concept that evolution is anti-Christian is 100%, 380 degrees backwards. I'm glad That's to hear you headline. say that. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Go ahead, Christine. Well, so my, my children were... Um in our church's youth group and told by leaders in the group that um, they can't even be Christians if they accept evolution. That they're just so, those are opposite trains of thought. And um, So the definition of a Christian then is, is the problem, okay? Because then right. you're defining two thirds of the Christian world as not being Christians. Mm. And that makes me angry. One of the few things that really make me angry because I'm a new convert is when people say you're not really a Christian. Yeah. 
that really burns me and i i will block or avoid that person after that uh it's not up to them to tell me who is a christian and i would never say that about anyone else yeah if you say you follow christ you're a christian and you get the sense that that that's something that was probably thrown around uh when uh, Copernicus and Galileo were, were changing the world's <laughs> mind on, on astronomy. You know, I, we, we, right. we see right. it in Calvin and Luther's writing, you know. Right. Um, right. So it wasn't just the Catholic Church back then. It was the whole church that, that yeah. uh, didn't read either book, Book of Nature or the, or, or the Book of Scripture well in, in that case. Right. Right. So you, you right. would hope that we as a church or we, we as uh, Christian people would have more humility when it comes to making well pronouncements said. exactly yeah exactly i About i agree that. entirely with that yeah that that's and, and this is why people are leaving it, it it's not so much because it's anti-science but because it's judgmental in that way okay so as soon as you hear somebody saying well that's not christian if you believe that you're not christian you know if you don't vote for this guy you're not christian if you don't do this you're not christian. i mean the, Go back and read the Gospels, if that's what you think. Okay. I mean, what was the message today? It was about the Canaanite woman, right? Uh, Jesus eventually, you know, after, after listening to her, said, you have great faith, it shall be done. I mean, that's the message of Christianity, not do you, did you follow the correct, do you believe the right thing? Do you, do you follow the correct rule? You know, I, I, I don't know. I, and the, the irony of all this is that, you know the the young earth creationism idea you know isn't didn't even start in a mainline mainline Christ, uh, christian denomination it started with seventh day adventists and it got taken over and uh by other people but it's it's brand new i mean the church fathers didn't hold to this it's it's a uh, it's it itself could be considered a heresy if you're going to start talking about heresies so i i don't know i I'm, I am not I am not on a mission to convert young earth creationists to agree with evolution. I am perfectly happy with any Christian who says they don't like evolution. In fact, I would say the majority of my Twitter followers and many other people that I know online and Facebook, etc., are young earth creationists. And I don't that's fine. I'm not on a mission to convert them. What I am on a mission to do is to explain to people it doesn't matter it's not important yes evolution is true and it works and it's and it's not antagonistic to the bible or christianity but if you prefer to believe in a young earth if you prefer to believe that you know special creation is the way we all got here okay you know i mean the center of our faith is jesus christ that's it and, uh, you know, he didn't talk about evolution much. <laughs> I don't remember any, any verse in, in the Gospels where Jesus says, now, remember, evolution is wrong. <laughs> it's not in there. So, you know, my, my view on this whole, and, and by the way, even some of the editors in, my, in, my, uh, in the publisher uh, were, you know, a little concerned about some of the things I had in the book about evolution. And... We discussed it, and um, you know, we all agreed eventually that it was it was worth keeping it in. And uh, 
I know a lot of my readers don't agree. They've told me, <laughs> but they still think my message is worth hearing. Mm. That's good. That's wonderful news. Yeah, it's, it's and, um, so let's just jump jump over to talk about ASA and the God and, and Nature okay. magazine. And tell it tell us we talked just very briefly before about ASA, the American Scientific Affiliation. Um, you're the <clears throat> president, the vice president of the Washington D.C. chapter. Right. Um, and you're the editor in chief of, of God and Nature magazine. Uh, tell us a little bit about ASA and the magazine and your involvement and the mission. Yeah, so ASA started as a um, an organization of uh, science professors in Christian colleges, I believe, and and some other Christians who were also uh, teaching in science and doing research in science at, at you know regular uh, secular universities, uh, and uh, they formed in in the in the, I believe the late forties. So it's a very old organization. Uh, and it decided at its outset that it would not be specific to any denomination or any theological viewpoint. And that remains true today. Although, if you look at it over time, you will see a gradual shift away from young earth creationism to intelligent design and now largely evolutionary creationism. Uh, but again, there are still people who are young earth creationists. There's plenty of ID folks in there. So we don't, we don't take that to be important. We're, we're all scientists and we're all people of faith. And we have annual meetings. This, this year it was online because uh, of COVID, obviously. But um, we, we meet around the country and even in, in Canada. There's also a Canadian a branch, which is very active. Uh, and uh, those meetings are, are remarkable. I, the first one I went to uh, was I had just become a Christian. It was still was I was still pretty quiet about it. I heard about it. It was held in Washington near where I live, and uh, I was overwhelmed. I uh, I went to a, a worship service and I looked around and I saw all these PhD chemists, physicists, biologists, geologists singing how great thou art. And it was just overwhelmingly beautiful. And every time I, I do go to those meetings and we get together for a worship service and we, we sing hymns and pray, it's, it's just wonderful to look around and, and see all these fellow scientists engaged in the practice of faith. And, I, uh, I hate to break up the picture you've just painted of a kumbaya moment, but that's my right. job. So I'm going to do that. Okay. <laughs> we recently talked to a fellow biologist, um, uh, Joel Duff, Dr. Joel Duff, oh, and you. of course we, we talked to, to Jim Stump, and you know famously Jim had to, uh, w was pushed into making a choice between remaining a professor at a Christian institution or remaining connected to Biologos, and, and his story is not unique, unfortunately. When we had John Walton yep. on, he said that people had tried to get him fired. Uh, yep. And we, we asked a question about the weaponizing of inerrancy. There seems to be right. a group of gatekeepers within Christianity that wants to tell, particularly scientists or science-minded theologians, 
to sit at the back of the bus or stay in the closet. Um, I think under their breath, many members of ASA that I've talked to uh, who work at religious universities kind of have to keep it uh, secret, almost like a conservative working in Hollywood. What are your thoughts about the weaponizing of inerrancy and the atmosphere that's created in some uh, Christian institutions towards what should really be a pursuit of truth, though the heavens may fall? So, again, I'm going to sound like an incurable optimist, because I guess I am. <laughs> um, that's changing very rapidly. I, I do remember when... I mean, Pete Enns and, uh, oh my God, there's so many, uh, Tom J. Ord, uh, a number of and, and other people who are not that famous, uh, who, you know, uh, had to move on uh, from their Christian colleges. But that's changing. And the reason I know it's changing is because I did a little research for before my debate with Kent Hovind, and I, I wanted to see how many seminaries and Christian colleges uh, hold to a strict young earth anti-evolution uh, stance in their statement of faith. And it turns out it was something like 10%. And the top Christian colleges, you know, Wheaton, Gordon, Calvin, you know, the ones that are really at the very highest level are all now uh, open to uh, scientific interpretations, including evolution, including an old earth. And uh, that was astonishing to me. I, I was surprised. This was about a year ago. And it, the trend, that is the trend, and it's going to continue. Um, Wheaton, where Walton is, uh, I was at, I was there a year or two ago, about a year ago, you know, it's completely changed. And um, some of the other Christian colleges as well uh, are you know, no, no longer, I mean, there may be some subtle, you know, it's not done yet. We're still moving in the direction, but that is the direction. And I'm hopeful it continues. Uh, any, any school that continues to say that we are not going to teach modern science because it's not biblical will drop away because why would students go there? Um, you know, there, it takes time because there are parents who say, well, I don't want my kids to go learn this atheistic stuff. Uh, and that's a shame. But the kids themselves, <laughs> you know, they're not going to put up with it. They want to know the truth. And look, we we say Jesus Christ is the truth. And there's only one truth, which is God's truth. So if we if we find a scientific truth, that belongs to Jesus Christ. The truth belongs to him. The truth belongs to the one we follow and worship. So to say it's not true because somebody interpreted the Bible in this particular way is it's just foolish. Hmm. That's a great statement. As a matter of fact, um, the truth of it is that even when an atheist is per tru pursuing truth, he's actually pursuing God unknowingly. Um, Amen. Christine, I want to give you an opportunity to, if you have any questions before we let the good doctor go. I know we've kept him over an hour. I, I do want to bring up his book uh, and and have him talk about his book for, for a moment. But if you had anything else. Um, um, I just have kind of one final question, and that oh, okay. would be 
advice to pastors and say like youth leaders or parents? Um, what what would you advise when talking about science faith topics and in light of um, COVID this year, there are many families who are going to be homeschooling um, just because that seemed right. like the best option. Um, a lot of homeschool material is Young Earth Creation based. Right. Um, it dominates in the Christian homeschooling community. Um, what advice do you have to um, youth leaders and, and pastors and parents uh, when it comes to talking about just science and Christianity and um, with with students and young young people. Well, I let me just put in a plug for a book that's not mine. Uh, a book came out, I think, last year. It's specifically for homeschooling, a Christian homeschooling, and it's all about science. It comes from five professors at Wheaton, one of whom is John Walton, and then there are four science professors. Uh, I don't, Robert Bishop, trying to remember who, if I can think of them. Oh yeah, Steve Mosher, uh, five faculty members at Wheaton College. It's a wonderful book. I'm sorry, I don't have the name of it in my head, uh, but if you look up, uh, if you look that up, uh, Steve Mosher is M-O-S-H-I-E-R. Larry Funk is the biologist, F-U-N-C-K. If you look for those, you, you could find it. Maybe if you find it, you can you can put it on a link. Uh, that's a great resource. Now, that doesn't answer your question entirely, though. It's a little helpful. Um, I, I think I think the attitude that I would like to convey to people who are really truly interested in in the survival of Christianity and its prospering uh, should be something on the order of this. Um, go to the lab, do experiments, and read the Bible and pray to God. The two things are not contradictory with each other. Both are vital. Both are the way to have a happy life, if you're interested in science. Uh, if you're not, interested in doing science, read about it, because it's a fascinating topic. And if you read it with the right lens, the way I learned to finally read and, and think about science, everything you see and read and learn will tell you more about the grace and majesty of God, the creator. And if you look at it that way, then as you're reading about evolution, don't think about what the atheists say. Don't, don't think about them saying that this shows that we don't need God, because that's not true. Think about the beauty of the natural world, the beauty of the world of life, of, of how every cell does things that are unimaginable for non-living creatures. And where did, what does that tell us? It, it, it's a reflection, was it Psalm 19, I believe, you know, the heavens declare the glory. Okay, that, that's called the astronomer's hymn, but it applies to everything in the natural world. And I like to say that every bacterial cell and every cell in your body declares the glory of the Lord hundreds of times a day, thousands of times a day, because of, of what that cell can do. 
And so if you think of science that way, if you think of science the way the original scientists thought about it, a way to understand the, 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 the beauty of God's creation, there's no conflict, there's no problem. And when you hear people talk against anything in science because it's non-biblical or anti-biblical, okay, write down the verses they're talking about and go back and look at them carefully. And then read John Walton and read some of the other theologians who explain what those verses actually mean. And there's no conflict. There's no, there's no war between science and Christian faith. You found it. Yes, that's the book. Thank yeah. you. The book is Understanding Scientific Theories of Origins. So right. available on Amazon. It's a beautiful book. Yeah. Great book. So, so I want to talk about your book for a second, Cy. Um, it, it's a sure. book that uh, I think every Christian should own multiple copies of, uh, as my co-host <laughs> likes to do. Christine is very generous because she loans out books. And we're going to have conversations with people who who are, oh, oh you got it. You know what? So this Great that it's not attached, so when I loan this out, I can keep my autographed autograph. Yeah, you know, I've got one of those too. I've got a nameplate. My side probably doesn't remember. I was one of the first ones who jumped on that when he when he mentioned I, the answers, I, to answers, yeah, and Genesis. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, those those are free to anybody and. Uh, Actually, I will also say for people who want multiple copies, I'm going to be doing a, uh, a giveaway. It turns out be before COVID, I, I was going to go on a book tour. Mm. And I had several places purchase large numbers of books, uh, which were going to then be, you know, uh, given out, sold at the, at the uh, book signings. And of course, those are now sitting in libraries, one library and one college. So uh, I'm going to be handing out those books. Uh, for anyone who's already purchased a copy, I'm going to send a free book. And to get the details, if you go to cygart.com, it's my new all-encompassing website, you can sign up for the newsletter. I think uh, I think you did already, Christine. I don't remember. I, I, I even got your first newsletter already. You got the first newsletter. Okay, so it's working. <laughs> so if you do that, uh, you... It, in about a month or two, I'm going to start uh, giving away some free books until, you know, until they're gone. <laughs> so I, I, I've I got. I already oh. know where one is going. What's that? I already know where I'm going to give one. Oh, good. Okay. Cy, <laughs> yeah. so if I can get you uh, to just give us a clip. Sure. Um, where you're talking about the book and who the audience who, who it's written for who it will be useful to um and why christians should have multiple copies because who are they <laughs> going to be loaning it out to right uh, but it'll right. help people along the path so Seigart, uh, author of the works of his hands it's really uh, a a testimony of how Sai went from a marxist atheist to uh, a devoted follower of jesus christ and he talks about how science and faith are not only compatible. Um, well, I'll let Cy fill us in on that. Cy, could you tell us a little <laughs> bit about this book? And can you book, tell us sure. who the audience is? Right, right. So, yes, the audience 
was originally, and I think it expanded a little bit as I wrote, as I started writing, but originally it was for the group you talked about before, John, the nuns and the duns, uh, people who've walked away from the faith for various reasons, uh, especially, of course, because, you know, science. It it, it's it's an attempt to explain to that audience and it could be their parents, it could be themselves, uh, their friends who, you know, have just said, well, this is not for me. Uh, It it goes against what I really think is true, et cetera. Uh, And I'm hoping I don't know whether it will convince anyone to remain in the faith or to take up or to take the faith or come back to the faith. But hopefully it will have some helpful effect along with many of the other books that are have been written and are being written in the same theme. I mentioned the language of God at the very beginning, and I think that was is still one of the most powerful books ever written. Uh, and and, and I, I like to think of mine as in that same genre. You know, it's, it's somewhat testimony. There's also a lot of science in it. Not too much, I hope. There's a little more biology than there should be because I am a biologist and I just couldn't resist. Uh, but you know, if you don't, if you're not interested in that, you can just skip it. I think the main thing is to understand those chapters where I talk about, which is most of the chapters, where I talk about how science actually is not opposed to faith at all, but in fact is is something that should lead you to faith. 